Hi folks and welcome to episode 5 of Let's Talk Photography. I'm your host Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today we have well, a fantastic panel which I think is identical to the last show we did. So it's uh, my good self, it's Antonio from uh, Switch to Manual is back with us. Hi Antonio. Hey Bart, how are you doing? Oh, don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> probably, better than, probably better than I am. I mean, no, you're feeling worse than I am, excuse me. You ever... yeah, no, it's, uh, no. I, apparently I don't respond to viruses very well. Neither do I. Neither do I. Took, I had one for a couple of weeks. It knocked me out, but uh, yeah. uh, kept me from shooting too. Yeah, well, it, it's going around the office, so it's everyone's getting their turn. So I guess that's something we can all sort of laugh at each other, feeling miserable. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- thanks for having me on the show today. No, it's, uh, thank you for thank you for uh, giving up your time as always. Uh, also with us again is Mark from Twin Lake Images. Hi, Mark. Hello, Bart. So does that make you a Windows machine? You don't respond to viruses well. <laughs> I think I might be. Maybe I'm John Hodgman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hello, thank you, thanks for having me back uh, Always delighted to have you on And um, my fellow Belgian Stefan rounds out the panel Welcome back Stefan Hi And you're from the Tech 45 podcast, which is in Dutch Yeah, but handles anything related to tech or gadgets or uh, web in that uh, area That fits into 45 minutes Yeah, normally we should uh, try to fit it in 45 minutes, but uh, I don't think we ever succeed at doing that. (laughs) I know that feeling so well. (laughs) This is apparently an hour-long show. (laughs) Yeah. So it was an hour long, and it's the extra bit on the end that uh, somewhat ruined it. Yeah, it it does. Anyway, before we dive into this week's topic, I just want to remind people that if you'd like to send us show ideas or questions be they short or long you can send them to photo at let's-talk.ie or in the contact us page on the let's-talk.ie website so hopefully when enough questions come in we might, we'll probably do a dedicated question show or if a you know a good really big question comes in we might do an entire episode dedicated to the topic or whatever so if you have any thoughts anything you'd like us to you know answer be they long questions short questions you know what is the meaning of life to what does TV mean in a Canon camera? Anything in between there, send it to photo at letsdashtalk.ie. You mean TV so, doesn't stand for television on a Canon camera? I believe not. <laughs> Sorry. But that's actually how, our, how I remember it. TV is uh, moving images, so it has to be a, a short shutter. It's time value, technically. Yeah, time value, yeah. Time value, yeah. And AV drives, is not audiovisual. <laughs> it drives me nuts because I grew up in the world of AV TV and I look at that and I'm like, I, I can't make sense of it. But anyway, yeah. I digress. <laughs> so we, so I just want to set this week's or this month's topic up a little bit in some context. So in my mind, uh, the panel may disagree with my mind, but in my mind, there's four phases to photography. There's prep, there's actually shooting the picture, there's processing what you shot, and then there's sharing what you've made. And so over the course of this year, not one after the other after the other, because it will probably get boring, but sort of throughout 2014, we're going to dedicate a show to each of those four areas. And we're going to start that process off this month with the prep bit, which we're sort of going with a working title of Before You Fire the Shutter. Might change by the time I hit publish on the podcast, but that's our working title. So the idea is, what do we do before we're wherever we're going to be to help us ensure 
that we get the most out of whatever opportunity is about to present itself. So I guess that that's sort of the the thought for this week's show. Um, that's a oh, go ahead. No, no, after after you. Well, I was going to say that's such a big topic. I mean, I mean, um, you know, I started writing down some notes about this, and I was thinking, well, where, where how far back in prep do you go? Are you talking about like actually before you go on the shoot, or like what do you do to prepare for this? And I'm, I mean, the list could be could be endless in terms of like what you do before a shoot. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'd like to touch on some you know simple practical stuff and some of the more philosophical stuff because arguably you could go right back to the whole, well, how do you decide what project to take on? Which is probably like a four-hour show in itself. Yeah, I would agree that that's that's a, that could definitely be another show. Um, and I was thinking of like some of the more practical things, but like, you know, part of me wants to say, like, to get these things out of the way, you charge your batteries, you got extra memory cards, you know. <laughs> you yeah, got actually, no, well, let's start with the practical stuff, right? I mean, let's stop you flipping about it. It's actually really important because... If you have an opportunity and you get there and you don't have all of your bits, that opportunity's gone. Okay, so yeah, I agree. And like the way I um, talk about this, especially with our switch to manual um, classes, uh, we talk about establishing a workflow. I mean, it sounds kind of stodgy, and everybody's going to go, oh, "I don't want to do this." But if you get yourself into this sort of routine, then you 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 sort of divert some of your your brain energy. Back to like you know what am I going to go out and shoot? Like if you're saying if you do this ritual of I'm going to format my memory cards, I'm going to charge my batteries, I'm going to write numbers on them. You know if you get all that sort of you know I want to say BS kind of picky stuff done, you free up part of your brain that's important to go out and do the creative work. So to me, workflow and routine is is kind of important because it does free me up to to be more creative. So like things like you know. After I after I'm done with a shoot or before I go out, I make sure I'm reformatting my memory cards and my camera. Uh, I'm making sure that um, I, I come up with a system of how to distinguish them from like you know shot cards from um, empty cards. So when I'm in the field, I'm not putting you know full cards in there. I come up with a system. Actually, as a matter of fact, how do you do that? Because that, that's kind of an important one that we could all do with some help on. I think it's a, there's a couple of things I do. It's like either I carry like a, a case that carries all my empty cards and and that's where i draw them from and then i have small little you know you buy the like sd cards or the compact flash cards and sometimes they come in the little plastic cases and i use those sometimes as my those are my done cards so they go from one case to another case um and that that sort of helps me or sometimes if i don't have the two cases i'll actually turn the cards upside down or do something in the same case so i understand that these cards are the right side up and maybe starting from the left you know, when you open up these cases, they have they go from left to right. You know, from left to right is you know uh, the clean cards are on the left and the used ones are on the right. You know, so there is there is a system there. I like having them in two separate cases because then I can see I don't get fooled by opening up my case and saying, oh, you know, I still have eight cards left. Well, no, four of them are shot. You know, and yeah. maybe they got just you know they they got moved around while I was uh, while I was walking around. So I like to keep them separate. Um, uh, is is two things. That's also like I tend to keep my shot cards in my pocket, so in case someone steals my bag, then at least I've still got my <laughs> your, your gear is gone. But your my gear is good. There. Well, the shots are the most important thing. So you know, I, I hate thing. I mean, of course, the card is the easiest thing to replace. But but you know, I like keeping those things separate sometimes. Um, 
And of course, formatting them is important because you always want to rewrite it. You know, you want the camera to format the card so you have no old pictures on there. So you're not guessing, did I shoot these already? What did I do with these? Did I transfer these? No, you start off with a fresh card and you always want to have the camera format it so that it, you know, um, gets rid of all the bad sectors and the, it's set for that camera. Um, so, Antonio, you you reformat the card every time or you just delete every the pictures time. off of it? No, so you're every not time. Why? I, I'm I never. Not clear. I never delete the pictures off the card. My my workflow is when I get back from a shoot, the card is my ultimate backup. So when I copy my images, sorry to go back a step or two, but this is my pre-shooting always starts with the ending of my my my, my previous shoots. So you know, I come back with my cards, I copy them onto my onto my computer. I never delete the card until I know that I've got two or three copies on my computer, and then I tend to leave the card with the pictures on it until I'm ready to go out and shoot. And then when I'm going out and shoot, before I go out, I am reformatting the cards. So in some sense, I have a, a backup of my pictures in case something happened to my computer or the last, you know, the last backup didn't work. I could always still go back to my cards because I didn't delete them yet because I haven't gone out and shot yet. But when I go out and shoot, I'm making sure that I'm formatting them in the camera. I do not delete them. Deleting is not enough. It's a formatting because formatting is also – you know, when you reformatting anything, the camera is going to find just like a computer. It's going to say, "Well, there's some sectors here that are not good, and I'm going to remap them so that I'm not writing to them." So you always want the the card formatted. Okay. That's, well, I'm I, I'm up to you. I, I, step by step, I do exactly the same thing. But I I'll put the card when I'm ready to start going. I put the card in and go to my menu and say, "Delete the image, delete all images off." And what you're saying is, I should be reformatting because that's going to make the card potentially better or more efficient. Yes, I. I it'll help the yeah. It'll help yes. the, the camera detect problems in the card and nip them in the bud. Right, because I've seen enough. I've seen enough times when I've gotten shots and and uh, and this is a long time ago. This is how I learned this. I mean, when my CF cards were like 128 megabytes kind of thing, you know. Oh, and, <laughs> and, you know, having done, Mark, what you were doing and realizing, you know, reformatting is going to just... It, it, what was really funny is that reformat and you'll start, especially if you use a card over a period of time, you'll start to see the capacity decline in the card. So you go from like 200 pictures when you first get the card to all of a sudden like 197 pictures. And that is a result of formatting. The reformatting is knocking off those sectors that would have had those three pictures because those sectors are probably, you know, borked or something like that. So um, rather than just deleting the pictures, which might leave those sectors open to be written again and then open up for corruption later on. So, Okay. Well, very good. I've learned something. So I've I've never reformat them. I, I, uh, when I get the cards, you know, new. I'll format it because I know that I need to format it for my camera. But then I never, I've never reformatted them since. I always just delete the images off every time. So there I'm we go. Same boat. Uh, I never formatted my cards. I, I just shoot, and when I get home, I, I import my images and then let them delete uh, off of the cards. Never reformatted. Well, I'm here to change all of you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you need to change me as well because I'm even worse. I'll, I'll tend to, I'll only delete. I tend to have pretty big cards, and I'll like delete, say, the last three shoots, but leave the ones from before on the card as long as possible. And then, if I run out of space, I'll delete another shoot. No, no. I actually gonna... use a similar t- technique. But I like the numbers to keep going up. I don't like the numbers to start at zero again, which is ridiculous and stupid. But that's the nope. computer scientist for you. 
but that's Ready maybe because we don't have as many cards. I don't know how many cards do you take uh, with you on a shoot. Uh, me, I take as many cards as I can remember to carry with me because oh. the one thing I don't want to do is run out of um, run out of film in the sense. Yeah, well, yeah, virtual film. I only own four. So yeah, same here. I think I have two memory cards and they are really big. So ah, oh, so my my two cents on that is I like a lot of smaller cards. Um, again, for safety purposes, hey, yeah. when, I'm, hey, when I'm when I'm shooting a job, I tend to shoot on smaller cards. Like if someone's paying me to do this, I like to shoot smaller cards because if there's something, if I lose a card, you know, I don't lose the entire shoot. You know, if I lose a an, a, an eight gigabyte card, um, right now I only lose a part of my shoot rather than the entire thing. I don't want to lose any pictures, but you know, if I had a 32 gig card, and let's not talk about shooting video because video you need the big cards, but yeah. you know, I like to break it up. It also when I'm doing a professional job, it gives me a point in time when I'm shooting that I can actually take a break, you know, like switching cards out. So, but that's sort of going off in a different direction. I like smaller cards um, generally, uh, and I like to have a lot of them with me. That's what don't put all your eggs in one basket, I guess, is what it comes down to. Yeah, and again, I think it's a matter of context. If I'm shooting for myself with my, my new Fuji X20, which I can't say enough good things about. <laughs> Uh, and I have a 16 gig card in there, and that will last me, you know, a week. And I don't always transfer my pictures with that camera. I tend to use it like a film camera, where I just shoot and shoot and shoot, and then transfer at some point. But and that's for myself. But when I'm on a job or something important, I tend to work a little bit differently. So, cool. Okay, so make sure your batteries have electricity in them, and make sure your cards are ready to go. Uh, that's so, uh, something else. Something that I always do that I'm quite religious about is. When I'm finish when I finish up, I always put my camera back into the same state so that when I leave next time, I know that it's ready. It's sort of in a default state. So for me, that's aperture priority f8, no no exposure bias, auto white balance, ISO 400, and sort of on the whole, you know, what's the most important settings f8 and be there sort of theory. So I can, you know, if something surprises me, I can fire, and I'm not going to have oompa loompas. That's the one I keep telling myself I'm going to do, and I keep forgetting to do. And I and and you would have you'd think that I have enough ruined shots that I would remember it next time, but I continually forget. So I think that I need to come up with a, uh, as Antonio says, a workflow so that I remember that I do it at the same time all the time and and remember to do it because I I carry my camera with me all the time and and uh, never know when I'm going to be shooting, but. That's the one I, I I know that I should be figuring out a default state, and I keep forgetting to do it. So, well, I I came home one day from a one-off thing that I couldn't reshoot with everything shot at ISO sixty-four hundred and daylight white balance, and it was indoors, <laughs> and I just didn't do that again. Well, that that you know, one of the things I, we teach in our class to people who are learning to shoot manually is we say, you know, use the back of your camera, take a shot, you know, before you go out and shoot, and take a look because all the information about what you're shooting is on the back of the camera. Hmm. So I think that's a good opportunity, Mark. Like if you don't reset your camera every time, and I don't do that all the time, but I do take a single picture when I go out and I'm always looking at it and say, okay, what, oh, it's tungsten white balance. Oh, it's, you know, 3,200. Oh, you know, it's like I've got the uh, the JPEG setting on, you know, and I want to shoot raw. So, um, you know, I don't do it so much after my job because I kind of like drop my, my camera and I sometimes leave it for another day before I look at it. But certainly before I go out, boom, I take a, I take a picture. I also to make sure that the camera's working too. 
I so. usually do it actually when I'm copying the photos off the card. Because you're sort of twiddling your thumbs while they're importing. And so I sort of clean up after myself, put the camera back, and then, you know. It's a good ritual, whatever whatever you end up doing. And again, the, the idea of having ritual. a you know, ritual, which is workflow and, you know, uh, for... Are us geeky people. Um, it, <laughs> it's, a it's helpful for, for religion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it's helpful. Again, it, you know, it's the 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 tedious stuff frees your mind a little bit. You know, especially if you get into this routine, it frees you up. Uh, and you know, if you follow this routine, you know, you, you do these steps one by one by one uh, before your shoot or after your shoot. Um, you you're, you're pretty. You know, you, if you had to troubleshoot, you could figure out where things need to be fixed. Um, again, you're you're taking some brain energy, you know, s- s- you know, and freeing it up for the stuff that's really important. Yeah. Uh, now, this is something. The next thing I always do is something I, I'm wondering. Actually, if Antonio is going to tell me this is silly, but um, I only own one camera bag, which means that I, you know, so. It, I had an art teacher in school who had a mantra that she succeeded in beating into all of us, I think. A place for everything and everything in its place. Uh-huh. Uh, my camera bag is always organized in exactly the same way. So that if I'm... To some extent, this is almost even more useful when you're leaving. So that you make sure that there isn't like an expensive filter left lying out somewhere in the middle of a field. Um, I really get into this habit because I do a lot of nighttime photography and it's very hard to go looking for, say, the little bubble level for your camera that could be anywhere in your joint camera bag if it's dark. So I always have everything exactly the same place so I can reach in without looking and grab it. And so I can also reach in and feel to make sure I put everything back before I leave. I have the same habit. I put my uh, my uh, speed light in the same spot, my camera in the same spot, uh, this lens in the same spot. It, it makes it a lot easier indeed to, to find things back later on. Otherwise, I just forget where I put it, and then I spend five minutes searching. It's not that I have such big bags, but if it's something small, you spend five minutes searching, and you lose a shot or, or two. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to say that that I like camera bags like my wife likes shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, I wrote up a little thing about you know finding uh, a good camera bag. I mean, I'm not a single camera bag person because every Often, so many things that I'm doing are different and require me to, to sort of be physically different in, in many respects. And I, I usually find a camera bag that's I, – I really – I'm looking at one, two, three, four. I got about five camera bags on my floor right now. Each one is a different type. <laughs> and those are the ones that I just have out. I mean I have a few in the closet. That <laughs> but um, it, well, I think what you guys are talking about is – I wouldn't say that's not the thing to do – it's just not the thing I do. Um, I mean, for instance, I got, I, I've got listed four or five different kinds of bags. Uh, shoulder bag, backpack, sling bag, hip pouch. I mean, those are the four that just came to my mind about each one requires, you know, for a different type of shoot, I will use a different kind of bag. And so I don't necessarily keep the stuff in the bag because I'm always switching the stuff out. I do make myself a checklist. Um, before, especially before I'm going to shoot a job, so I know what equipment to stick into the bag. Um, but I, because I use different bags, it's hard for me to remember where things are. I mean, I always bring a flashlight with me so I can see what's in the bags. Um, <laughs> One of the things that's in my bag is a flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> and you can never find it. <laughs> well, I can't because it's always in the same place. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, actually, since since someone since 
I don't know, this trend lately with making the insides of camera bags lighter color so that you can actually mm. see everything. I mean, what took them so long to do that? That's a really Pete's good point, sake. actually, yeah, because I've owned two camera bags in my life, an old, an old backpack and then a new backpack, and the old backpack was black inside. And the new one is, is it's not white, but it's sort of like, you know, MacBook gray. Yeah, so you can see everything, because every piece of camera gear that you have is black, and, yeah. you know, Look for a black cord in a black bag. I mean, you might as well. I don't know. Yeah. But um, like, for instance, you know, I you know, I have a shoulder bag, and and I've got actually a couple of shoulder bags, and one is more. One looks like a messenger bag, so it doesn't look like a camera bag. So if I'm going to a certain area and I don't want to stand out, I use that bag. Or if I'm going in a job and I'm really just taking equipment, I use a backpack because you know I'm going to some place and I'm dropping my gear someplace. So, um, or a sling bag, you know, for a certain you know, compromise between the two. Um, you know, and the other thing I have listed here is if you get yourself a Sherpa, <laughs> someone yeah. carry one of those. Can I have one of those? <laughs> but um, I, I'm, I'm part of the person. Um, I'm like, like on my computer, I use, you know, uh, a mouse and a trackpad and a stylus because I want to change my body up. I want to use different things. And like for me, if I'm using a single type of bag, I feel like my shoulder is going to, you know, like I'm getting older and schlepping Forty pounds of gear on one shoulder every day is going to take its toll. So I like to switch it up a little bit for a little variety. That sake. makes a lot but, of sense. But it does mean that you know I've got fifteen bags and each one, and I haven't found the perfect bag yet. So, no. but you have one for every occasion at this stage. I have one for every occasion. There are sometimes when you have to look like a pro, like you have to go someplace and you got to look like you know I know what I'm doing, and I've got I carry a lot of extra gear for smoke and mirrors, you know, and so that's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I shoot with a point and shoot, but I bring all my other my big lenses and stuff like that. But I'm like, you know, I'm going to shoot with my little Fuji camera, you know. But <laughs> it just make people feel better. I mean, they're going to get those good pictures anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's all you know, it's all show. It's important. Well, I guess it's important to make people feel at home. Um, yeah. The the next thing I sort of have in my notes. Actually, I'm going to take my notes out of order. I've just realized. Um, Something I have a sort of a giant big thing is avoid having to rush. Do everything you can to make sure that you're not rushing. Because I don't know about you, but I find that if I have to rush, it'll take me twice as long to get set up and I'll do something stupid. Well, I think... Oh, go ahead, Mark. No, I I think that uh, that tends to be the the time when you... um, shoot the bad shot because the ISO was set from the last time or whatever, or at least for me that, that I, while I don't necessarily have a really good routine of always setting my camera to the default when I'm done or whatever, I tend, if I, if I'm taking my time and it's sort of maybe a combination of what Antonio said about, you know, shooting a shot, but you know, if I take a little bit of time, I look at the settings, I remember to reset it to, sort of a you know a middle uh, an f8 or something uh it's it's when i'm in a hurry it's when i rush that i tend to make the mistake of not resetting the camera and then i'll shoot a whole bunch of images because i've gone past the point now of looking at those settings so, so then not only will i have one bad image but maybe a whole pile of bad images so i would totally agree with that which is avoid avoid uh having to rush take your time to get it set up because uh, even if you don't have a routine, I guess that's when you're 
At least you know, give yourself the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I, exactly. I, I aim for twenty minutes, generally speaking, if it's some sort of event. You know, let's say there's a satellite going to fly over, there's a steam train coming. I want to be there twenty minutes before it. Yeah, and if it's a steam train, I'm usually shooting with as many cameras as I can possibly get tripods for, which which is another really good reason to be good and early because I'll have the little GoPro stuck on the line side somewhere. I'll have my D40 around my neck and the D5100 and a tripod somewhere, and I've got to try to get it all set up before the steam train arrives. But maybe that's an exception. But then for the night shooting, focusing takes a long time because you have 30-second exposures. So you can't just fire one off, tweak the focus, fire one off. It, everything suddenly takes time when it's dark. So, so I do my best to be 20 minutes early. And then you may end up twiddling your thumbs for five minutes, but I'd rather twiddle my thumbs for five than be five seconds late. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, I mean, I'm... I'm one of my other jobs is working on a the television show and and we have a 9:30 call for a 12 o'clock show and you think oh that's you know <laughs> two and a half hours before the show begins and you would be surprised at how those two and a half hours flies by and especially that last 15 minutes before the show goes live you know i mean we've done all the prep ahead of time and all the last 15 minutes they it, it goes like this um is that live tv that that's about as nerve-wracking as it gets well, yeah, it is, and you know, if you're you're kind of on live TV too, if you're waiting for an event to happen, yeah, you know, you're talking about something that's going to fly overhead, or you're talking about shooting a, a wedding, you know, and all of a sudden you've got that, you know, five minute window, and the bride is about to, you know, do something, and you're like, whoa, I didn't, you know, what happened, you know, and then even just the idea of being prepared because something might be unexpected, you know, hmm. something might come up, and you, you're gonna you're gonna be, oh, well, I didn't have this camera ready or I didn't have these settings or I didn't have the card in there I mean you know someone once said like you know if you're this is this is on the on the uh, TV show I work on if your call time is 930 and you show up at 930 you're late right you know show up at your 915 you're on time even if it's a 930 call you're on time if you're in 915 you're being there early and being prepared and ready um I mean, it never hurt. I mean, what are you going to do otherwise? You're going to be sitting at home for those extra 15 minutes or, you know, you know what, watching TV or, you know, having, gee, just go out, get your stuff ready, spend the extra 10 or 15 minutes being prepared for what you're going to shoot. So, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for that. Cool. Anyone else want to fire with an idea or? Well, you started, ta- I mean, you started talking about, I mean, I want to go back to like mm-hmm. the prep before we leave because a couple of things I wrote stuff out of order as well. But you know, we talk about lenses. You want to clean those lenses. You want to clean your sensor before you go out. Um, you know, these are things that you don't want to like while you're in the middle of the field and you realize your sensor or your lens is dirty. You know, all of a sudden, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot with a dirty lens, you know? Or if it's in the middle of winter or something like that, I mean, how are you going to clean the lens with uh, with lens liquid in the freezing cold? So you want to do all that stuff before you go out. Um, make sure all your gear is as clean as possible. And the one thing I wanted to, one thing I learned over time, everybody cleans their lenses and filters, but nobody cleans their lens caps. And I would I like mean- to. <laughs> The inside of your lens cap, right? Yeah, because that touches yeah. everybody's lens. <laughs> it does. It touches the lens, and it's and there's often a lot of dirt and and dust just sort of hanging out there. And you well, know, you get yourself some of the the canned air, the dust off, and you just blow out the inside of that that lens cap. But a lot of people don't think about that. They think, well, the lens cap is covering the lens, so the lens is protected. Well, but if there's all this gunk inside the, which there is. Well, I put my lens caps in my pockets, which means. My lens caps get pocket lint and all sorts of stuff in them, so they're probably dirtier than your average one. But I do, I, which is why I guess I have to clean them. 
Well, and here here's the thing, Bart. I do the same thing. My lens cap goes in my pocket, but I don't clean the inside of my lens cap. But now I'm thinking about it going, would I stick my lens in my pocket? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I'm, I, so I'm sticking the cap in and then I'm putting the, and then I'm putting the cap back onto the lens. And it's so basically I'm sticking my lens in my pocket. Caps That's are also plastic. Uh, which means you're rubbing them off material, so they're picking up a static charge. They're like little magnets for dirt. Yeah. It's literally sucking the dirt out of your pocket into the lens cap, and then you're putting it on your camera. And then I'm sticking it back on the on the lens. Well, there we go. There's well, lesson especially number, lesson number I mean, two today. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm going to say that you know that's one thing for the front lens cover because you know we all think about that. But when your rear lens cover is in your bag or your pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, any dust that's on the rear lens cover is going to show up on the rear element of the lens, and anything that's on the rear element of the lens is going to show up more in your final pictures because it's closer to the the sensor. I mean, you can get away with some dust on the front of the on the front lens without it really showing up unless you're shooting it at uh, um, high aperture numbers. It's a small, you know, a small mm-hmm. closed aperture. Um, but actually, when you close down more, any dirt that's on the rear element is going to show up a lot more, almost like dirt on a sensor. So. Um, you know, pay attention to those rear lens caps as well. For those people who have DSLRs, I mean, don't yeah, try and, to. <laughs> and I don't have a loose rear lens cap. What I have, because I, I transfer one rear lens cap from lens to lens as I swap out the lens. So whatever, whatever lens is on the camera obviously doesn't have a lens cap on the back because it's stuck to the body of the camera. And and the loose lens that I have now has. All the loose lenses that are in the bag have a have a back or have a uh, back cap on them. So when so basically that I have it's the uh, musical chairs sort of uh, lens cap because it just moves from from lens to lens. Whatever one is on the camera doesn't have one, and whatever one's in the bag does. So it's there's never a loose one. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it's the way I do it as well. Actually, yeah, I do the same thing. I think it's because I lost one of them. But. Yeah, me too. Well, I have an extra one, but it's got a lens. It's got a front and back cap stuck together, so they're and they're in my bag. Yeah. For for that for the one that's out. <laughs> yeah. you, just I reminded, you just reminded me of something as well, actually, that I always do before I leave. Is I hate changing lenses out on a windy day because I'm always afraid that the wind is going to introduce something into my sensor I don't want. So I try to leave the house with the lens I think I'm most likely to need already on the camera safely attached while in the, you know, the wind-free zone of my house. Same here. I, uh, I, I, I sometimes I, am changing. I, I, pulled enough, I pulled enough garbage off of my uh, sensor uh, one time that I realized that changing in the field was was not a good idea if I didn't have to do it. I think that goes double if you go into the seaside. Or or any place that's you know desert area or something like that, but but uh, I don't know. I haven't had that many problems with dust. In the, I mean, I I don't shoot in in areas that are like you know like where you guys might be shooting in the middle of uh, you know the wilderness where there's pollen and junk flying around. I mean, I mean, I'm in New York, of course, and there's a lot of junk in the air, but I don't seem to have gotten that much. In um, your camera. Yeah, in my, see, what what tends I, to kill me is, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm often out along that canal. Great, it looks idyllic, but it's got a gravel path, and in summer that means stone dust, which is basically sandpaper in the air. And that stuff is just not lens-friendly. 
And I, I you know, you, you, if it's on the front element, you like, you could easily scratch your front element, but you really don't want it on the back. You're cycling off with a rooster tail of crud behind you. Anyway, um, now I guess there's different sort of. I mean, so far we've been very generic in our prep, but there's actually very different kinds of shooting because if I'm if there's a steam train on. It's a very different sort of thing to, I'm going to go out this afternoon because the weather's nice and I might get some nice landscapes. They're very, very different scenarios. So if you do have something that you can't sort of make happen again, I'm a big fan of having printouts of as much information as I can in the bag, so I'm not depending on my iPhone finding a signal or something like that. So I'll have the timings for the steam train, and I'll have the timetable for the regular trains because, well, for two reasons. A... It means I set up potential shots of ordinary trains, which are always nice to get. But B, the way it works is if a steam train is late, the ordinary train gets let through and the steam train will be in the next gap. And so when is the next gap? Well, you only know that if you have the timetable. And so you can say, OK, it hasn't made this gap, therefore it's going to be 20 minutes. I should power down the video camera or I'm going to have no battery left and so on and so forth. And I'm also a big fan of using Google Earth combined with something that will tell you where in the sky the sun is going to be so that you can at least have a plan A of where you're going to stand so the sun is at the right angle to make it all go, and maybe a plan B and a plan C, in case Google Earth missed a tree or something. So you're talking apps? To, to some extent I am, actually, yeah. And paper, paper and app uh, Yeah, printouts, printouts so that you're not dependent on tech in the field, and throw all the tech at the problem you can when you're at home in the comfort of your house. And that's something that uh, that I've that I've, as far as preparation for shooting, that's the one thing probably that I have done the most and or developed the most. Uh, there was a time where I would just go out and shoot because that was the time that I could get away. But I do a lot more in the way of trying to be prepared for a good shoot. Um, and talking about what you're talking about, for me, that a lot of times is figuring out where the sun is going to be or where the moon's going to be. Um, where the light's going to be hitting, and obviously that changes throughout the year. Where, where what where the angle is, and I have a couple different apps that I use um, on my phone that that I think are very useful. Um, one of them is the uh, and Bart, I need you to help me pronounce this. The Uh-oh. photographers, the the photographers, ephemerius is is that ephemeris. how you pronounce that? Yeah. Ephemeris. There we go. Um, which is a universal app. It's about $9 here in the United States. And I really like this, and I use it a lot. And basically, uh, it lets you know where the sun and the moon will be at any particular point uh, using GPS coordinates. You can put a pin so you can see where you're, where you're standing or where you think you're going to stand at that, you know, if you know the area. And you can line it up and see where the sun's going to be. Uh, gives lets you figure out the elevation of obstacles and things like that. So um, that's one that I use a lot. And then the other one that I use, um, it actually does more things, um, and it seems like I'd use it more, but I I don't like the UI very much. But that's PhotoPills, which is a $10 app. But it does additional things like time-lapse calculating and hyperfocal tables and, and so forth. But it also does the moon and the sun and where they're going to be. The one thing that it has that, that I think is kind of cool is an augmented reality, uh, an overlay. So you can 
stand in an exact spot and hold your phone out in front of you and it'll show you uh, like the path that the sun is going to take uh, in a augmented reality and what time it's going to be at a particular spot in the sky and so forth. And both of those things you can do at home or you can do in the field if you have a signal um, to prepare yourself so that you're standing in the right place at the right time for the shot that you're trying to get. One I use a lot is one called Light Track without a K on the end. And that gives you sort of a Google Earth style view, uh, but the sort of the pin representing you has lines coming out of it. One line to the sunrise direction, one line to the sunset direction, and one line to where the sun is at a given time, and then a slider at the bottom to make time go forward and back. And, yeah, and, oh, sorry. So, so the way I would do that is, so let's say that I know that there's a steam train due at half eleven. I will set the, the time to half eleven and then move the map around until the angle between the line and the railway line works. Um, and it's amazing how different that is, say, January to February to March to April, even if the thing comes at half eleven every time. The sun angle will be really quite different. And and both of the apps that I mentioned do basically the same sort of UI where you put a pin and then you see lines emanating from it. So I think it's people should just take a look at them and, and see which one maybe works well for them or price-wise or UI or whatever. But uh, they all kind of – it sounds like all three of them kind of work the same way yeah, I as far as that. I have Light Track and something called Sunseeker. And, and Light Track is good in the city environment because – you know, because you have the, the uh, Google Map um, overlay, you can kind of see where the light's going to hit on buildings and stuff like that. And maybe when it comes down, the building sort of like uh, Manhattan Hinge that they talk about. Um, and Sunseeker is is similar, but it's got an augmented reality kind of thing. So you look through the camera of the iPhone, and and it will it will overlay the track of the sun in the sky. So. Um, it's kind of a useful thing when you're on a location someplace and you, and you want to say, oh, where's the sun going to come out from here? Um, and you can just sort of line it up that way. But uh, isn't that only useful if you know in, in advance where you will be or where your subject will be when you're taking a picture? Yes. Yeah, with light track, <laughs> so you, light you track guys, certainly, yeah. You guys plan in advance where you will be to shoot a picture. I think uh, I'm, I'm in a different case there. I don't really plan in advance. Uh, I will be at that location at 11 o'clock to take a picture. So probably uh, I'm doing a, a lot less preparation well, than no, you will. Because we don't do that. For, I certainly don't do that for everything. But I, if I, you know, if you're shooting something that's scheduled, then you have the luxury mm-hmm. of being able yeah. to do that. And then I would sort of take the time to do it. But there is the other kind of shoot where you just say, it's a nice day. I'm going out for a cycle. In your case, I'm going out for a run probably. Mm-hmm. And then I take my camera because something nice may ha- may pass me by. True. And in that case, I think the only sort of really important thing you need to know is when is the sunrise, when is the sunset, and what's the weather forecast? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's probably all the prep. Well, it's not all the prep because I guess you need to decide what lens should I bring. And uh, Something I did a, a few weeks ago, there was a, a cyclocross event here in, in, uh, in our coast, at our coast in Belgium. And uh, I, I did go there an hour or two in advance to, to check out uh, the course and see where uh, the riders would pass, where it would be, would be a tough spot to, for them. Uh, so I, I know uh, at that location I will be taking a nice picture because uh, there will be a lot of mud flying around and things like that. <laughs> That's something you, you uh, I do plan in advance then, but uh, most of the time I'm not really 
planning in advance. I'll be there at 11 o'clock to take a picture of a train arriving at 20 past 11, for example. So I think my preparation is a lot, uh, a lot easier than uh, than you guys. Well, if, if, yeah, but you're still when you're going out there. I mean. I have the note to say that there is nothing that beats in-person scouting. You can look at Google Earth till the cows come home. It won't show you everything. There's going to be a bush blocking your view. There's going to be something you really didn't think of. Mm-hmm. So if you can be there in person, it's always best. But True. in your case, when you're walking around there, I am sure that you're mentally thinking to yourself, the sun is going to be behind me, so this angle works. I can't stand on this side of the road or I'm going to be shooting into the sun. I mean, I'm sure that's going through your head. Yeah, it does. It does. So I guess photo yep. pill would just take that to a slightly different level where you could sort of hold up your phone and right. it'd show you in virtual reality. But, you know, if, if you know where it's going to be, you're, you're golden. Mm-hmm. The other reason I like using these is, is uh, because I shoot a lot in the same... Uh, I, I go to the same locations a lot, but as you mentioned, Bart, the, you know, the sunrise or the sun's going to line up maybe in a, at a different angle different times of the year. An example of this, there's a, um, there's a river nearby... And um, I, I tend to go there a lot at the same time of year. But then I looked at it once and thought, you know, that's I'm facing the west. And if if the sun were to go down at this particular spot, it would create a really neat reflection off the river. I've I've never seen it, but I wonder what time of year the sun is at that angle. And I was able to go into, I don't remember which one of the two apps that I used, but I was able to actually go through it and scroll through the entire year until I could see where the sun lined up on where it would be essentially casting its light across the river at the angle that I wanted and uh, found out when it was and actually went there that time of the year and didn't get a very good picture. <laughs> That's beside me. <laughs> in Ireland, we have this terrible problem that no matter how much you plan and you wait for all the right alignments, you can't make the sun be visible in the sky at the right time. Because That, was my, that, that was my problem. It, it, the week that it was going to be kind of where it needed to be was a horrendous week and never really got a good, never, never really lined up well for me on light-wise. But... The point of the story is not that I was unsuccessful in the picture. It was that having that application and being able to sit at my sit at the desk and scroll through and go, oh, you know, that might be a good picture. I know that location pretty well. If if the line if the sun just lined up right, so and you know Mark, for next year. Yeah, exactly. Mark, that reminds me how when we first started to connect a lot more after I was remember we we were you were helping me research that photograph that my dad took. Oh, right. Yes. I mean, it's not the same thing in terms of figuring out the time, but we were using, we used, uh, you know, the power of the internet to, to find out that my photo, my father had photographed John F. Kennedy um, approaching uh, Gracie Mansion, which is the mayor's house in New York City. But we were, we were basically using Google Earth and my dad's old contact sheets to try to figure out where these pictures were taken. And that actually helped me figure out the day that it was shot on uh, 50 year 50 years ago actually it was last year and set myself up for the same day approximately the same time of day maybe mm-hmm. uh that he went and photographed Kennedy approaching the uh, coming into the uh, mayor's mansion and I went there 50 years ago to the day and set up my shot um and maybe I'll post those I got the shots of my dad's picture overlapped on the uh, original on the uh, landscape Ooh. But, nice. you know, that was like using using the software to pre- prepare, you know, 
uh, a shoot, and this way me connecting with my dad in some way, you know, 50 years after he did something. So uh, it's just interesting that you mentioned that, Mark, about the sunsets, and I just thought about it as uh, what we did. Yeah. And sunsets lining up with things, there actually can be quite small windows. I mean, Manhattan Henge is probably the most extreme example. Is that even two days that that works? Sorry, I think it's like, you know, there may be two exact days, but there's probably like a day before and a day after those two days that it's close enough. Yeah, but even, even if you take the close enough days, I bet you it's not more than a week. No, it's not. It's definitely not more than a week. And and you know what? This I've lived in New York all my life, and all of a sudden Manhattan Hinge. I know, but I'm looking. I live here, and I'm like, oh, the sun's setting down the buildings. Okay, so what? But you know, the 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 world has made it into something now. So it's now Manhattan Hinge. But yes, yes, essentially, sure. You know, plus or minus a couple of days on either side, and and that might help with like Mark, what you were saying in the same way. Like uh, if you're if you're especially if you're prepping to shoot something specific, you know, these apps or like this pre visualization is sort of what I would put it in, you know, ballpark it into. Um, well, and, and it you know, makes a big, I, I'm, it makes a big difference of where you set up. Uh, uh, going back to the fact, you know, I shoot in. At sunset, a lot at a uh, at the waterside um, at Kayak Point where there's a dock. Well, depending on which time of the year it is, the if I want the sunset to be behind the dock, so the dock's in front of the light, in front of the color, uh, I could be on one or the other side of the dock. But I kind of need to know where the sun's going to go. And I, you know, I obviously I could go out there and figure it out and and sort of use my my math brain and kind of figure it out but it sure is nice to know ahead of time before i even get out there exactly where i want to stand if i want to get the angle that i want as the sun is dipping behind the horizon yeah prior prior to all the apps and stuff like that i lived in an apartment in brooklyn that had a very nice view of the statue of liberty and i would just sort of ballpark when the sun would set behind it and but i guess i didn't have these I didn't have that. I mean, I guess I could have used astronomy programs. Or something I was going like to say, that, you could but, have used an actual ephemeris. And done the yeah, math. I know, but I didn't think about it then. I mean, I didn't really think about these things until, you know, an iPhone with apps came out. I'm like, oh, you know, I was like, I could, I could, I could pre-plan these things. I mean, it wasn't my nature to be like, if I wasn't a, you know, a photographer who thought that way uh, until after the apps came out, just because my, my world didn't include setting up shots. But so I sort of look out the window, I'm like, oh, maybe in two days it will, you know, the sun will set behind the, the Statue of Liberty and I'll get a good shot. But, you know, it would have certainly helped if I had pre-planned it ahead of time. And then I could have just, you know, figured, well, I'm going to be home at this time, make sure I'm there. I'm going to get my, I'm, I'll rent a nice big long lens, which I, you know, didn't think about doing. And, and I will actually have prepared for that. And I might've gotten some, I mean, I've got some really nice shots, but I certainly could have done, done a little bit better with some prep. Uh, something else I have in my notes. So, you know, in an ideal world, we'll do, we'll do our own prep and, you know, we'll be really well prepared and we'll go out in the field and it'll all be great. But, Sometimes, you know, some things you can't just prep for anyway. Um, And there's actually nothing beats local knowledge. So don't, you know, I would say don't be afraid to ask people in the area, you know, where is a good place to get some wildlife shots? You know, do you know anywhere where foxes hang out? Whatever. Or something I've noticed, um, you know, because of all this geotagging nowadays, I often get people who contact me on Flickr and who say, I see you've taken a lot of shots in, you know, cart and house. Do you have any tips? And, you know, that's great because 
I live here. I know the place well. It's great. You know, it makes sense to ask a local for any ideas because I could save you two hours of wasting your time by telling you actually don't bother going here because you get thrown off because the golf course owner hates it or whatever. You know, try over here instead. You'll be left alone, left in peace, and it's really nice. Whatever. So I would say, you know, don't be afraid of getting some local knowledge. Don't sort of rely on on these tools completely. In addition to that, I would say also uh, make sure you pack some some uh, business cards with you because when you when you talk to people, it's a, it's a lot easier to convince them or to to talk with them if they have something on paper, a business card where they can contact you, maybe get your uh, more info about you, or or maybe see your your pictures. That's something I, I'm I'm tending to do a lot lately. Make sure I have business cards with me so I can give uh, give them out if people ask me something. Uh, that's a that's a great idea, Stefan. I was going to add to that, uh, especially if you were going to go out and like photograph people, that you bring some sort of little portfolio with you. And I don't mean on your iPad or your iPhone or something like that. If you if you print out a small portfolio and you're going to bring it with you and you're going to shoot people, I think people will respond better when they say, you know, who's who's that creepy guy taking pictures of me, you know, or something like that. And if you go over to them. And you talk to me and say, look, this is what I do. I, I love the way you looked and would, would you let me photograph you? And, and then you give them their, bus- their business card too to contact you. I think that, that, that would help a lot too. Just on, on the topic of business cards, I got, I'm, I got some done recent, well, recently, a year or two ago at a place called Moo.com, right? And mm-hmm. it was dirt cheap. And they, they have this thing where you can have a different back on every card. And so you can basically upload 50 of your nicest photos and they will do your business card, and each one will have a different one of your favorite photos on the back. And then giving out your business card is almost like, hey, which one do you want to choose? You know, it's actually it's a really nice touch. And, yeah, I, I've I've done that. I, I go, okay, so you want one of my cards? I go here, and I fan them out. Yeah. And like, pick which one you want. <laughs> and people are like, ooh, ooh, look at that. And and um, I I used to get I used to get professional photographers talking down to me like, whoa, would you do that stuff on Moo? I'm like, yeah, I do it on Moo because it's great. You get to show everybody your pictures. It makes a, makes a game out of, out of, you know, giving your business card away. And as long as they all take them and they're, you're right. The part, they're not that expensive. No, I I think I spent like 10 pounds, you know, on on the UK version of their site for like a hundred cards, which is nothing. And the the other night, I mean, it's, it's silly and stupid, you know, it's not particularly fancy, but one of the things is you have a few different physical designs on Moo, and I went for one with, like, one rounded corner out of three, and it's just a little subtle thing that just makes them, your cards just stand out. They're just nice. Here's another vote for Moo. That's what I've been using for a couple years now. And I have the same thing. I, I, very simple to set up, but it's nice to be able to put, you know, some of your favorite images on the back and actually, kind of carry the portfolio around with you and and show people and you can fan out the fan out the cards show them the pictures and then you can say oh here take one of the cards uh, it, it's wonderful it wonderful might be a little sad but i usually try to make sure i have two or three with trains two or three with butterflies two or three with landscapes two or three with nice local buildings <laughs> and then when you fan them out there's a bit of variety you know well it's a bit of your portfolio then so kind of, why not yeah. why not Very small <laughs> But I think people like that. I think it, it makes it intimate. Also, you know, uh, again, you're engaging people closely, and uh, and then you're seeming you're like a legitimate business, which you know you are. If people aren't going to go out of their way to make car, well, I guess people can do whatever they want. But I mean, the fact that you're showing these things and you're handing them out, and um, this is very helpful. I found. Well, you know, I think it makes people trust you a little more because if you turn out to be creepy or whatever, they know who you are at least. Mm-hmm. So they can report you to the police. 
<laughs> I love that. I, I you know, I, I, I didn't I, I don't want to talk about too much detail, mm-hmm. but this idea of going out and shooting, like I, I, I'm looking at my list and I'm like, you know, do this, bring this, bring this, bring this, bring this. And I'm thinking like, when I go out and shoot these days, I've been trying to carry the least amount of stuff possible, um, depending on what I'm going to do. Um, because like I'm getting older and I turned 50 this year, which is kind of making me crazy. <laughs> And, you know, I'm looking at, like, do I want to carry this tripod with me? Do I want to carry all these lenses with me? Like, how much ibuprofen do I need to carry in order to, you know... What are those Sherpas you mentioned earlier, clearly? Yeah, well, you know, this is New York City. The Sherpas are expensive. So, (laughs) you know, and I I was really just... I, I want to sort of condense all this so that I'm not talking about stuff, like, detail, but, like... Really, really, I see people bogged down. I'll, I'll, I'll run these classes with my friend Tom, you know, the switch to manual, and I'll get people who schlep out all this gear. I'm like, dude, you don't need to bring all this stuff. You're going to be aching carrying everything to take a picture uh, where you're going to just use the one camera and the one lens. So it's like, you know, this idea of pre-thinking ahead what you're going to be doing. Now, I know this is like... I'm going to be out there one day, and I'm not going to bring the lens that I should have brought because I didn't want to carry it because it was too heavy. But this is this is all a bunch of choices that you need to make. And I, I think it's important to pre-think this out. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're young and you're 20 years old, maybe you can carry 50 pounds of gear all day long. Fine. But even that, I find if you're carrying all this stuff, you're, you're bogged down in the minutia of like, where's this lens? What lens should I use? Should I switch this? Should I use this? You know, where somebody is just carrying a, a great, you know, little Leica or a Fuji camera and they're like, boom, they take the shot, you know, and then they're good to have a beer or, you know, jog the next day or something like that. You know what I mean? I, so I, I, I don't know if you wanted to talk about that, but this idea of like thinking it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's overprepared and there's underprepared and, you know, it's the Goldilocks thing. Then there's just right. But there are times when you're overprepared and you miss a shot and there are going to be times when you're underprepared and you miss a shot. And you, you, you sort of have to deal with that. But is it overprepared or is it just a false sense of preparedness? Because let's imagine hypothetically that you did that. You packed your bag with every single lens you own so you could deal with any eventuality. Something is going to happen. You're going to reach for your camera. You're not going to have time to root through your bag, find your lens. So the fact that you have it with you doesn't actually mean that you're going to get the shot anyway. Oh, I, you know, I, I agree completely. And, and um, you could... Like, I don't know how to say this. It's like, my brain, I'm having a brain freeze at the moment. But, you know, because I'm thinking about the times when I, I overthink this sometimes. I go out and I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to go down to the river, so I should bring my really long lens and I should bring this lens. And, and I find that, I, you know, something's happening and I'm rooting through my bag and I end up not getting the shot, even though I had everything with me. And it's because I'm rooting through all the gear that I brought, you know? I tend to sort of go out, even on a day where I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm going out on the bike, I'm not really going out to shoot an event, I tend to go out with sort of an idea in my head that, I think today's a good day for butterflies, so I'll set up for butterflies, and if something else comes along, yeah, whatever, I'll grab it, but I'm going to have my camera ready for butterflies, and then I sort of just bring that lens and I'll make do with it, if I change my mind, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. I mean, it's it, it, you know, in the well, you know what? In the future, we'll have Google Glass, and you know, whatever you want to take a picture of, you'll just look at it. But even then, you know, 
Um, yeah, because the optics on that are great. I know, but you know, you got to think about like in fifteen years, we'll look back and say, "Oh, you know, remember when we used to carry around cameras with us?" Oh, yeah, but that's crazy. Now you have <laughs> this thing that does one hundred and fifty megapixels and telephoto and whatever. But uh, yeah, I you know, I, I'm I shoot in the street a lot. I have a single camera I bring out with me, you know, to do street shooting. I go out thinking I'm going to street shoot. I'm I prepare for that, you know, make sure I'm carrying. You know, five extra batteries with me because the Fuji camera burns through batteries like nobody's business. And, you know, if something else comes up, I will look at it and say, well, I can try to shoot it this way or I can just let it go. I mean, you know, I end up being disappointed, but I realized that, you know, my days, I want to be more mobile. You know, I'm not carrying a tripod today, uh, you know. or if I'm going to go carry a tripod, I'm going to carry a light tripod, so I might not be able to put a heavy camera on it. You know, it's 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 really a series of choices, and I think thinking about it and using past experience to base your choices on. Like I went out last time, and I brought the 800, you know, you know, 80 to 200 lens, and I was not able to use it. So should I just leave it at home today, you know, and just deal with the 17 to 35 that I'm going to bring? Um, but it's using those past experiences to 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 prep what you're going to do for the next shoot. So, so I guess probably the most important thing is to be self-aware. You're not going to get it right every time, but as long as you remember the past experiences, you're infinitely more likely to get it right next time. Yeah, I, I think I, I think being self-aware, writing notes down, um, anything that you can do to refresh yourself about that and. Uh, like I said, as as you're going on and shooting, you're going to be getting older, and the, the equipment is going to be start really going to start to be more of an issue in terms of like, well, you know, I'm going to uh, London today, you know, on a trip, and I I, I I'm going to be walking around in museums all day, you know. So do I really want to carry this stuff? And the last time the guys at the museum gave me you know a bit of trouble because I had this big camera bag, so they made me you know they made me uh, check it at the baggage place, which I don't want to do with my camera. So the next time I'm going to come with a smaller bag, you know. It, it's helpful to remember all this stuff so that you're not being caught off guard. Um, we've been going for about an hour now, so we should probably wind down soon enough. Do people have like one more thing they really want to mention before you wrap up? Maybe, um, I don't know. Stefan, do you want to go first with any, anything you think that we really should have talked about but we, we didn't? Well, something I, I've learned from uh, past experiences is make sure you have enough uh, rechargeable and charged AA batteries with you as well because I I had a, a few events where I, where I was shooting and I had to take uh, my uh, speed light my uh, flash out and when I put it on I noticed that the batteries were uh, dead so I, I ruined the shots so, so make sure reason more than the camera yeah batteries from your camera your uh, flashes make sure you have some uh, spare batteries with you and make sure you charge your batteries from smartphone and tablet if necessary. Yeah. That's, that's a very good point actually because there's nothing worse than running out of I, I podcast halfway through a photo shoot. <laughs> Mark, do you have anything to that you think we missed? Not that I think we missed. I think just sort of the summary I for me the things that you had that that everybody's mentioned and 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 what we're doing is sort of the summary is to pre-visualize and take just a little bit of time before you go. I, I think that sometimes I, I don't want to, I, I don't remember two episodes ago, we were talking about people having block and not 
not shooting and, and sort of the the answer was get out and shoot. Um, uh, so I don't want to discourage people from just get out and shoot. T- take your camera where where you are and shoot whatever. But if you're really, you know, give just a minute. Like you, I think I, I I come back to you uh, what you said. Avoid having to rush. I think that that's sort of the key. If give yourself just a minute to think about where you're going. So what gear do you actually need? Where's the sun going to be? What am I what are the conditions going to be? Get, just take a minute to think so that you can be prepared. I think you're going to be happier when you're out there shooting. Cool. Antonio, do you have any final thoughts? Anything we you think we've missed? Yeah, just sort of the summary of um you know, not only thinking about your gear but thinking about your person. You know, one of the things I again I sort of wrote down detailed things about winter and summer shooting, but sort of to lump them all together. It's like think about where you're going to be and think about your body and your person because you know in the summertime you want to be hydrated uh, and you want to keep the sun off of you. In the winter you want your hands warm and you want you know you want to be able to keep your batteries warm. You know, um, and you want your um, feet dry. Your feet dry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you want to think about your person. On, on top of everything as well because you're carrying all this gear. You're trying to do these things. And, you know, the idea is to go out and be safe, you know. Um, one of the things we do when we shoot in our uh, – we shoot a uh, switch to manual workshop in, in Red Hook, uh, which is a, a waterfront um, neighborhood in Brooklyn. You know, we have to tell people, look, you know, be, care- be aware of your surroundings in the street. There are cars coming. You know, you're going to get a great shot. You're going to stand out in the street. You've got to pay attention to these things. So – you know, the idea is being safe, and people don't think about bringing water with them or bringing a hat or hand wipes or something like that. And so um, I want to make sure that people not only think about their gear and pre-visualize, but think about themselves, too, because the idea is to really go out and be safe. And, oh, I wanted to add one thing. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a practical thing about outside in the winter. When you're coming into a, when you're shooting outdoors all day long in the winter, which it is now, and you come inside, make sure you keep your cameras in the camera bag before you enter the inside so you can prevent condensation. So many people bring their cameras in from a very cold environment to a very hot environment, and that will create condensation on the inside of the lens, and that is something you cannot get rid of very easily. Condensation breeds mold. Mold is bad. Well, the condensation, yeah, the mold is bad, but the condensation will not go away. Uh, There's no way to get rid of it unless someone tears apart the lens. Mm -hmm. So the idea is... When you're outside and you're shooting and you're done and you're about to go inside, make sure you keep your cameras in the bag. And then when you get inside, leave the cameras in the bag for a while so that they can change temperature slowly because the bag is still cold. And so they'll the, they'll naturally warm up in the bag. But don't ever, especially if you go into some place that's high humidity um, on the on the inside, if someone's got a humidifier, your, your, your lenses and stuff, when they go from like sub-zero weather to hot, you're going to destroy them. So I wanted to throw that in. That's like a practical. It's winter now. You know, tonight in New York City, it's going to be 8 degrees out, so, you know. So you're basically using the bag as a buffer. You're using the bag as a buffer, yes. Yeah, or, you know, if you don't have a bag with you, stick the camera. If you have a point-and-shoot, stick it in your pocket, in your jacket while you're still outside. And when you come inside, you know, let it sit there for like 15 or 20 minutes before you take it out. Um, But anyway, that was a practical thing. But anyway, take care of your body and yourself and remember that. Prepare prepare yourself. That's actually a really good point because some – you just reminded me of probably one of the most miserable days I spent. So I think people can think I only ever shoot trains. I do the other stuff too. But a day chasing a steam train on a bike is basically 
the thing goes by, it stops somewhere for water. You have 15 minutes to get to somewhere the other side of the water stop to get it again. So you have these moments of frantic pedaling and you're sweating buckets. And then you have these hours of standing still waiting. And you're going to sweat in the frantically moving phase. And then you're going to be standing there in wet clothes. So I pack a dry t-shirt and jumper nowadays. So that after I've done my sweating, I can just quickly change into a dry t-shirt. And the difference in comfort level is, is, is immense. Um, the last topic I sort of wanted to mention before you wrap up is, I'm pretty sure it's Scott Bourne hammered this into my head through all the many years of listening to his podcasts. Know your subject, because this is definitely true for anything wildlife. And I guess i just sort of give two examples of where this kind of stuff comes in. Let's say you've decided that uh, you want to get some butterflies. Well, it's actually quite convenient to know what flowers they eat so that you have some sort of idea of recognizing a good place to stop and perch yourself. But it's also good to know what they do during the day. So something butterflies do as the sun sets in the afternoon is they, they sunbathe. They need to pick up warmth. And so they will sit out on something like a, you know, gravel or stone, and they will open the pretty part of their wings and just sit there and bake in the sun. They're going to be, they're not moving and they're just sitting there. That is perfect lens fodder. But if you go to those same butterflies in the early morning, they're feeding. I mean, they don't sit still for like a millisecond, so you can't focus on them before they're gone again. So just knowing that is a, you know, makes such a difference. And then the other example is dragonflies. They move around like mad, but they they're really territorial and so if you see one perched on a branch and he flies away don't follow him he'll be back because he's territorial he will just move around about four branches in order all the time and come right back to that branch so he flies away you get yourself in position because you know he's going to be back and if you're really lucky he'll be back with a fresh mouthful of dinner that he's going to then sit there and eat while you take pictures so if you know your subject you have much more chance of coming home with a really nice photograph so whatever it is whether it's Cars, trains, butterflies, flowers, whatever. Just know about it. That way you're going to have the most chance of coming home with something. I didn't know that about butterflies. Hmm? Well, <laughs> I discovered that the hard way. <laughs> well, actually, that's, you know, part of that is like, you know, finding, sharing this kind of information because, like, I, I shot butterflies all the time in the morning at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden and they were all over the place. And I was like, all right, enough of this. And, you, know, <laughs> you will go mad, yeah. I was going mad, and so, like, you know, I should have talked to you a few years ago, and then I would have... I didn't know that this was happening, but it's this idea of, like, finding out the information ahead of time. And there's also one or two plants that are, like, butterfly magnets. They're, like, catnip to butterflies. And so if you find one of those, you just sit yourself down there comfortably because you know they're just going to be around in a minute. Yes, you know, information is good. I think, actually, we can sum up the whole of today with information is good. Yeah, and I hope we were able to share a bunch of that with everybody. I mean, again, this idea of routine and workflow and, like, uh, um, taking care of yourself, I mean, it sort of sums up the, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, I, I guess whatever you're doing on autopilot isn't interfering with your thinking. So the more you can do on autopilot. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. Thank you very much, folks. Um, before we do our little introductions, just another reminder to listeners, if you'd like to comment on a show, or if you'd like to give us some ideas for shows, or if you'd like to send us in some questions, it's photo at let's-talk.ie or the contact form on let's-talk.ie. 
So uh, thank you very much to the panel in reverse order. So thank you very much for joining us, Stefan. Um, do you want to give people any links or anything? Well, if you want to, if you speak Dutch and you want to find out more about our podcast, you can go to uh, tech45.be. BE for Belgium. And if you want to find me or contact me via on Twitter or any social media website, it's Stefan Lesage, my name. Do you want to spell that for people? Yeah, it's S-T-E-F-A-A-N and then L-E-S-A-G-E. Very good. Thank you, Stefan. Uh, Mark, where, what links do you want to give people? Uh, if people want to look at my photography, I'd like them to go to the website twinlakesimages.com. That's where I put up my portfolio. It's where I do some blogging. I put up a calendar telling people where I'm exhibiting. Um, I can also be found on Twitter and uh, Flickr as SwitcherMark. Antonio? I've got a list here, but uh, my main um, site for Switch to Manual is switchtomanual.com. We're also on the Twitter as switch, the number two, manual.com. Not .com, just at switch to manual, the number two. Uh, We'd also like to get people to our Facebook page since that's, you know, the Facebook seems to be another place for it. So we're Facebook dot com slash switch to manual and you can find me uh at twitter most of the time at uh, am rosario so um that's my website and that's my twitter name am rosario cool thanks antonio uh, i've been your host bart bushatz you can find me at bartb.ie and until next time happy snapping Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, I'm Tim Robertson from the Tech Fan Podcast. And I'm David Cohen from the Tech Fan Podcast. And we wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Stoplight Network. Stoplight is a community of podcasters. We're a group of people who are passionate about podcasting, and we're looking for people who have either existing or new podcasts who might be interested in joining us. So check it out at www.stoplightnetwork.com, and while you're at it, check out our show, The Tech Fan Podcast, part of the Stoplight Network of Podcasts.